Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to this week's broadcast where we help you not just discover how great God wants your life to be, but how you can make that journey into life at its best. That's what Jesus wants for you. Jesus came to you, might have life, have it more abundantly, have it to its fullest at its best. And so we've been talking to you this month about taking the limits off God. Now, I'm telling you, this is so important. And the topic matter is important in ways that you won't realize until you go through and weigh through all this information. Because everything that we have been taught about God moving in our lives has been based on a Luciferian lie. And the Luciferian lie is that God is in control of everything. It makes me furious when you turn on the newscast and a tornado came through and, and killed somebody's baby and, and the people are trying to be humble. They're trying to deal with it. They're trying to trust God. But they're, they're, they're like, well, you know, you know, we don't know why this happened, but God has got a plan. Well, let me tell you something. The key lie of Satan and the key way that he is going to destroy people's lives is this. God is not a good God. You can't trust him. That's it. That's the, that's the whole deal. And it's amazing with that being the single core of all deception relating to God. It's amazing to me that uh, a, a church leans toward religion instead of leaning toward faith. Oh, well, wait a minute. There's a reason for that because faith is trusting God. And if you think God is in control of everything, I got news for you. You can't trust that. You can't trust a psychopath who, who, lets, who causes this person to die and lets this evil person live. And, you know, I mean, stop and think about it. There's even, you know, there's even the words to a song that came from a, a saying that's been around for hundreds of years, the good die young. Well, you know, that, that comes straight out of that whole concept. Now, listen. The logic is this. Here, here's Luciferian logic for deceiving you so that you do not get to enjoy and experience what God is trying to give you. And the lie is this. The creator God is in control of all things. So if you look at the world and there's a war and there's poverty uh, and there's destruction and there's disease and there's death and there's child abuse and all this kind of stuff, you say, then, then if he was a good God, those things would not be happening because he could do something about it. Therefore, the, the horrible condition of the world is the proof that God's not a good God and the proof that you can't really trust him. Now, I am telling you, this comes straight out of Satanism. This comes straight out of Luciferian doctrine. This, this, is, this is the first lie that came to man in the garden and ultimately began immediately 
when mankind left the garden to be the basis of all religious uh, theology, all religious deception. Now, God is good and God is only good. And God has told us how we could have life at its best. But now, now, here's the problem. If you believe that God's good and you believe that you are created in the likeness and the image of God and that God is trustworthy, then from there, your heart and mind opens up to the biblical process for how you have authority in planet Earth, how you use that authority in planet Earth, and how you establish the will of God in your life. Now, if you don't believe God's good and only good, then this is going to put you in a situation where you're afraid to trust Him. And everything about you and God, everything about me and God, happens or takes place on the basis of faith. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of religious faith where you're trying to believe hard enough to believe that God will do something for you. I'm talking about the kind of faith that says God's good. This is who He said He was. He showed me who He was through His names. He showed me who He was through Jesus. And this is the only view, the only opinion, the only interpretation I'll have of God and all of His words is what I get through His names and through the life, teaching, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, once we come at it from that perspective, it gets so simple, so crystal clear about how we interact with God through trust. And that's what faith is. You know, faith is not, I'm, I'm going to believe hard enough to get God to do this for me. No, that's actually not what, that's actually not what faith is. You know, faith is when you trust God, you trust His character, you trust His nature, you trust that God is, in fact, exactly who he says he is. Now, in this series, by the way, in, in the um, audio series that, that you can purchase, uh, I can, I'm going into much more detail there than I am here because, you know, here I'm, I'm providing all this for you for free, but here not everybody wants to go into all those details. Not everybody's looking for ways to find out how to implement this, to find out how to integrate this into their lifestyle. And so those of you who are committed to being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're committed to learning how to walk through this life. I create more in-depth tools and uh, make them available to you because you're a disciple and disciples invest in themselves. And the great thing is, is when you invest in yourself, a part of those proceeds, a major part of those proceeds goes to helping us reach people all over the world, minister to people all over the world. So we're talking about the children of Israel. We're looking at their journey into uh, the land of Canaan. Now, the land of Canaan is, in fact, a type of what Jesus was talking about in the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a realm that you enter into because you swear your allegiance to the king. In other words, you make Jesus Lord and you begin to implement the teachings of the king to know how to have life at its best. And know, you know, all of Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God, it's amazing how religion took everything that Jesus said and, and made it as if he was telling you how to get born again. And there's a difference between getting born of the Spirit 
and entering the kingdom of God. Two different things. John 3, 3 tells you that when you get born again, you can perceive that there is a kingdom. So in the kingdom of God, you enter into this realm where you are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven are not identical but in truth, they are overlapping and cannot be separated. Because the heaven, what, you know, when you think about heaven, what do you think about? You think about heaven being this place where you're experiencing everything, all the resources of God. You're experiencing all the promises of God, this realm where you are abiding with God. Well, I got news for you. Entering into the kingdom of God puts you in a position and I can't go into all of, all of it now, so it's so theologically rich, but it puts you into a position where you now see, perceive, and have access to all the resources of heaven so you can have heaven here on earth. Now, it's so important that you realize, you know, the Bible is, explains itself. The Bible is what, it, is, is what explains the Bible. And... Uh, one of the reasons we get so confused about the Bible is instead of looking to the Bible to explain itself, we, we go look somewhere else. I don't, you know, and we listen to all the opinions that people have. But the Apostle Paul in the 10th chapter of Corinthians, he made this very clear. He said that this, that this journey from Egypt all the way to the land of Canaan, we should look at that because the whole purpose of that being recorded was that it would be a model and an example to us. Why? Because this is the model and example for the believer who is leaving slavery in the world system, crossing the Red Sea, getting born again, going to Mount Sinai, getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit, are confronting the works of the flesh, which is what the children of Israel did every time they confronted one of those nations, because all the nations that oppose them represent a particular work of the flesh, crossing the Jordan, which is another baptism. It's an entering into the kingdom of God and experiencing a lot. In Canaan, you know, God said, look, you got, you got grapes, uh, you know, that are huge. You got, you got, uh, uh, a wealth and an abundance of, of vegetation, uh, of, of sheep and goats and all the animals, all the food, all the resources that you need. That's the heaven part of it. So when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven, he was talking about the principles of the heart and how we take everything that God has ever said and apply it to our heart with a motive of love and the way we treat people, the way we relate to one another, the way we relate to God, and uh, we then uh, trust Him, connect to Him, put those into practice, and we experience the kingdom of God. You know, when He says in the beginning of a parable, and, the, you know, the par uh, Jesus taught concerning the kingdom of God, da, 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 it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about getting to heaven. And so we have Jesus teaching. We have the model that was laid out by the children of Israel. And we can look and we can see the reasons why they ran into obstacles. We can look and see, we can re understand the reasons why they failed. But we can also discover how they, the times that they would recover themselves. We can discover the things they did that actually did work. And so we are never lost. We're never without direction. We're never without clear understanding about, uh, about these things you know, that pertain to the kingdom. So, so I am 
seeking to help you understand how to make this journey from the slavery of Egypt, the world system, all the way into heaven on earth. And honestly, from a biblical perspective, if, the, if that's the model, then it is the role of every minister. Doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist, an apostle, a prophet, doesn't matter what you call yourself, what title you give yourself, or if you're just a believer who wants to help other people make their journey, the journey you're trying to get them to make is this journey coming out of the world system and making this journey victoriously into heaven and earth. Now, in order, to, in order to grasp the full dynamics of this, like I said, last week we started talking about get your heart fixed first. Remember, the kingdom is within. It is not an external realm. It is not uh, is not something that we can enter into by observation, by external observation. We enter into the realm of the kingdom through the door of our heart. Now, you know, in the, in the Hebrew language, it's really interesting. Every Hebrew letter uh, is not, not only represents a letter, but also represents a number. And every Hebrew letter has its very own individual definition. And so to understand any Hebrew word, you not only look at what does this word mean, but, but what does every letter in the root of this word mean? And you have to pull all those together to come to, to, come to get the, the, the full picture of what God is trying to show us through every word that, that he has ever spoken. So there's this thing called gematria. Now, gematria is not, it is not numerology. There, there is a difference. It's, this is not about forecasting. This is not foretelling the future. But based on the numeric value of a Hebrew word, every Hebrew word that has that same value, in other words, the same numeric value, there can be some correlation between those two words, and you can get some positive and or negative understanding of, of the dimensions of these words. You can discover how a word can have life in it. You can dis discover how you could have death if you did something else based on the, the numeric value of other words uh, that, that are the same as the word you're trying to understand. Now, one of the things that's interesting is the word heaven and the word mind or thought has the same numeric value. And so we start realizing that heaven on earth does not come by changing everybody else. Heaven on earth does not come by changing anything externally uh, because anything you change externally will go away. It'll change again. It'll change because the people change, the weather changes, people's attitude changes. But when you deal with what's inside you, which are your thoughts and emotions, your beliefs and feelings, when you deal with that, then what happens is uh, uh, something changes in you that gives you a, a different perception, that gives you a different power, gives you a different influence over the world around you. And when you change what's in here by the internal influence of the life of God working in you, it will change things and your external environment without you out here trying to use force and fight and, and argue and, and, and all this kind of stuff. So heaven on earth is all about thinking, feeling, believing, experiencing everything that God has for you now 
even though you're not in heaven yet. Man, alive. I, I, I just say, I could just stop right now, honestly, lay on the floor and worship and meditate, just thinking about the fact nobody else has control over whether or not I have heaven on earth. Nobody else can make me be unhappy. Nobody else outside of me can make me do anything that, that I don't choose to do. Because I can always choose to go inside and say, nope, Jesus gave me these parables of the kingdom that taught me how I can manage all, all of these internal factors so that I continue to experience the kingdom of God and the resources of heaven in my own heart. That, that's so phenomenal. Now, when Jesus comes on the scene, uh, he was the perfect model. He's the... Interesting thing with the life of Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of God. And uh, that's why he would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. The words that I speak to you, uh, you know, they're, they're the words of the Father. The works that I do, they are the works of the Father. Yeah, I can remember as a new believer, one of my really close uh, pastor friends, uh, I was an evangelist out here winning people the Lord on the street. He was a pastor and... and uh, I attended, you know, church where he pastored and we would get together and share ideas and pray and talk about things. And, you know, I can remember him talking about what, what does this mean? I only do what I see the Father do. And, you know, it took me years to come to realize that, that Jesus developed his heart based on the Word of God and based on uh, a uh, God being a God of love based on God being a good God. He, that's how he developed his heart. Now, a lot of people say, well, Jesus did not develop his heart. He was, he was son of God. Let me tell you something. Jesus emptied himself and came, and he had to grow into, and the Bible says he grew in knowledge. It, it says that, that he grew in favor. He grew in these things. And so Jesus in his life and ministry was the exact representation of God. But in this earth, he was also the exact representation of a human being fully surrendered to God. So there is nothing about our journey that is different than Jesus' journey. Now, a lot of people would immediately say, well, wait a minute, though. But Jesus was without sin. That's why Jesus was without sin. But you've been born again. Your spirit, man, has been made as righteous as it's ever going to get. And, and sin has no power over you. you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. You were a sinner. If you're still a sinner, there's a problem. You know, it was your nature. You were a slave to the world system. And that's what, that's what made you a, a compulsive, addicted sinner. You, you couldn't get out of it. It was just part of your nature. You got born again. It was no longer your nature. Listen, Jesus could have given into sin just as easily as we give into sin. But he didn't because of what he established in his heart, because of his connection to God, because he, he lived, he thrived. He grew, everything, everything about his life was about having this intimate, personal connection with God. And, and we know that Jesus studied the Word. We know that Jesus meditated on the Word. Uh, you know, in Luke 4, where he goes in and, 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 open, and turns in the Scripture, the Greek indicates that this turned, he turned to a place that he already knew about. He'd looked at before. This, you know, in other words, he didn't just randomly go in there and say, oh, I'm going to open the Bible and stick my finger there and that's what I'm going to preach on. No, Jesus, Jesus read and meditated on, on the Word. So if I want to know who God is... I got to look at Jesus, but you know what? 
If I want to know who I can be, I've got to look at Jesus. And if I've got any standard other than Jesus for who I can be as a believer, then the truth is I got the wrong standard. Now, we talked about a fixed heart last week. And if you didn't listen to it, you might want to go back and listen to it. Because, you know, a fixed heart leads to a steadfast heart. Now, interesting thing about a fixed heart or a steadfast heart. There are a couple of interesting proofs that your heart has been healed, that your heart, that your heart has been fixed. Because first and foremost, it becomes steadfast. But what does that mean? Well, a steadfast heart, number one, does not waver at the promises of God. You know, Abraham persuaded his heart. Well, that's what you're doing when you're fixing your heart. You're persuading your heart to be absolute, immovable, fully trusting in the things of God, who God is, what God's promise is to you. And when your heart becomes fully persuaded, like Abraham, it says that Abraham did not stagger. He did not waver at the promise of God, even though his own body was as good as dead in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, the King James says that, that, that he didn't consider them. Actually, the, the, he, the Greek says something totally different. The Greek says he did look at them, but that was not where he put his consideration. He looked and said, all right, you know what? In, in the natural, my body's good as dead. I'm not going to have any more children. You know, we've been married for all these years. We never had children. Sarah's getting on up in age here. So in the natural, this is never going to happen. So if I keep looking at these natural factors, I'm going to keep wavering. But if I look at God, if, I, if God and his resources become the focus of my attention, then suddenly this becomes believable to me and I stop wavering. So, so number one, a fixed heart becomes steadfast. And basically what that means is this. It means it does not waver at the promises. But secondly, it does not waver at a bad report. And it doesn't matter if the bad report's true. It doesn't matter if the bad report's not true. It doesn't matter. It really, none, none of that matters. It, a, a fixed heart becomes steadfast. It does not waver. And, and so the reason it doesn't waver is because its focus is always on God and his resources and not the problem in my resources. You know, uh, when Jesus, I don't remember if we talked about this last week, so for, you know what, if I'm repeating myself, it's not going to hurt you. You know, when Jesus was getting ready to begin his public ministry, he faced the great temptation that every believer will have to face and have to win before their life will become steadfast, before they can become stable, before they are, you know, before they're able to, to walk through challenges and, and trust God, walk through challenges and, and experience these great outcomes. And uh, so when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4, he had fasted for 40 days, 40 days, 40 nights. Well, you know what the natural consequence of fasting is? Hunger. And an interesting thing about fasting is this. One of the ways your body tells you that you that, that you fasted long enough because after you start getting farther into a fast, you stop having hunger. And your body is digesting its own fats and, and, uh, and running off of its own internal energy. 
But when it reaches a place to where there's potential damage for your body, hunger returns. And so hunger is a natural thing. Remember, temptation does not begin usually with perverted desires. Temptation always starts with a natural desire. The perversion is what we will do to gratify that temptation. So Jesus goes through temptation and, the, and in the temptation, you know, starts out, look, look, I know you're hungry, but you know, man, you're the son of God. Turn these stones into bread. I mean, if, that is, if you're the son of God. So you see, his identity was being challenged. If you are who God says you are. In other words, if God's who he says he is and you can actually trust him, and if you're foolish enough to believe that and believe that you are who he says you are, then prove it. So the, the temptation was to question his identity and then step over into legalism to prove his identity by his performance. Could he have turned stones into bread? I think he could have. Would it have been sin? It would have been sin if he had done that seeking to prove that he really was the Messiah. So, you know, the great thing, you know, uh, uh, is th this. He stood his ground. Well, then, since he used the scripture to stand firm against temptation, which is how we should do it, then, then what happens? And Satan comes in with the scripture. He says, well, you know what? And this is where they go up on, take, takes him you know, up on the pinnacle of the, of the temple and says, look, the scripture says that that, you know, he'll protect you. His angels will, will uphold you. If you dash your foot against a stone, they'll be there to catch you. So look, if you're really the son of God, jump off here and prove it to everybody. Prove it to everybody. Prove it to everybody that you're the Messiah. And he said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, this is so incredibly important because the children of Israel, the Bible says that since their heart was not fixed, it was not steadfast. Now, if you go back and listen to last week's message about a fixed heart and, and, and how to fix your heart first. Since their heart was not fixed, then they succumbed to the temptation to test God. Now, this is so crucially important. When you start wavering, at the promise, you will move into tempting or uh, trying to tell or testing God. And that testing God is putting God on trial. Now, a really interesting thing happens when you, uh, when you pass a judgment. When you pass a judgment, you start out with an opinion and then you search for the evidence to prove that opinion is right. And so the children of Israel, because they were wavering at the promise of God, because they were not experiencing this power of a fixer, they were not experiencing this immovable trust. They did not, they did not take the steps that they could have taken to experience the promises of God in those situations. Instead, they were convinced in their heart that this couldn't happen. God was not trustworthy. This, his promises were too good to be true. So they put God on trial, but they put him on trial from the perspective of, we've already decided that you're guilty. You know what? The due process is a biblical concept of justice. Due process says, 
I can't accuse you of something and start looking for evidence. Due process says, if you do something, then I start gathering the evidence to find out exactly why and what you did. But interesting thing, when our ego is driving us, we want our opinion to be right at all costs. And so in the case of God, we are seeking, once, once our unbelief brings us to this place that we're not going to let God move on us, we're not going to experience the miraculous power of God, but I've got to justify myself and protect my ego, so I've got to put God on trial and prove that he is guilty. Listen, we're going to take some more steps in this next week. I'm going to continue with this for a couple more weeks. I think it's going to be incredible for you. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.